Welcome to episode number 206. You are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris. And this is where we talk about living homegrown and handmade using modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food no matter where you live. Because I firmly believe that homesteading is a state of mind first, and you can do elements of homesteading and should no matter where you live. So you may not be on your ideal piece of property or your forever homestead, as we like to say in the community yet, but you're working towards that goal and the things that you do right now will get you that much closer and make that much more of a difference than if you wait because guys, life is never at that perfect spot or perfect time to start anything. You just got to dive in and do it. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about on today's episode with one of my special guests. What's been so amazing about Anna's story is you may have already listened to our previous episode with Anna, which was episode number 131. And that was nine transition tips from city life to homesteader. And what's really fun is we are catching back up with Anna in today's episode. As you'll hear as we dive into it, just five years ago, Anna and her husband and their little family did not have their homestead yet. But in five years time, they have gotten some pretty incredible results, especially knowing that they did it with zero background or knowledge when they began, which means that if you've got some knowledge or if you don't, don't worry, you are good in good hands, that you can really make some big strides. And I think what you'll really enjoy about this episode, well, I think you're going to enjoy all the parts of it, if I'm being honest. But what's really great is they now have their own place and some different steps that they're looking at and that they have done to have their property and their homestead implementing ways to help it pay for itself and going into it with that goal in mind. They've also had some setbacks, which they have used to their advantage. And I know a lot of times when we get something that's like a setback, sometimes it's hard to see the good in it or how that's actually going to benefit us, especially like a job loss, which is exactly what Anna and her husband faced, but they were still able to use that and to move forward. And I think that you're going to be really inspired as well as get some tactical tips on some different things that you can do to create and live your homestead dream life. So we're going to dive in to how Anna and her husband are incorporating some aspects of permaculture design in order to make their property as productive as possible with the least amount of input as possible going forward. And I love that. Getting the most we can out of everything with the least amount of work is one of my goals. And for those of you who participated in the organic gardening workshop, you are going to recognize Anna because she was one of our guest presenters. Okay, let's dive into today's episode. I am so thrilled to get to revisit and talk with you today. So Anna, welcome back to the Pioneering Today podcast. So it has been a little bit since we have talked and I am just astounded uh, how far you guys have come. It's really amazing. For those of you listening, if you haven't listened to the first episode that I did with Anna, it's episode number 131, where Anna talks about her very beginnings of having no background whatsoever in homesteading, how she started in an apartment and the strides that they've made in really a short period of time. But what I love is how the scope of your guys' homesteading journey, like I said, from starting in that apartment, which you guys can listen to that more and go and check out episode 131 after, of course, you listen to this one. But to go from living in an apartment in the city, really having no, what people would really consider homesteading skills whatsoever. And in just a short period of time, so it's been what four or five years to be where you guys are at today. I think it's really inspiring. And I also want to break it down so that people can see you may not be in a position where you really are living your ideal homestead or even on your homestead right now, but you can make it happen by starting where you're at. And in some instances, a lot faster than you might think. How many years, has it been four or five now, Anna, since you really started to come down this homesteading journey? 
Yeah. So it's actually been four years since I'd say we really got into it, which is when we um, made our move out of the city and actually dove in and started gardening and canning and DIYing all these things that we do. So it's really been, it's been longer than that since we, you know, the ball kind of got rolling when we lived in the apartment, we were doing a little bit, but it's really been four years since we really dove in. Okay. I love that. And just for a quick recap for people, if they haven't listened to that first episode yet, just so that it makes sense in this one. So you guys moved from the apartment and then you moved on to a rental property, correct? Right. Yeah. We moved over. um, We used to live in Vancouver in the city and we moved to Vancouver Island four years ago, which was well planned and well thought out. We planned it for a few years and made our move and ended up on a piece of rental property that was about an acre. So we had space to put in a garden. We didn't have a huge garden there um, because we didn't own the property. So we weren't going to go tearing up all the land, but we did get the owner's permission to put in a small garden with some raised beds. And it was an old farmhouse, which kind of just lent itself to doing all these kind of old pioneer type things. It was very inspirational that way because we had this massive under the stairs pantry that we got to store all of our canned goods in and this garden going and everything. But that's where we got our start. And then, yeah, just over a year ago, we ended up buying our first property and that's where we are today. Okay, awesome. So a couple of things that I wanted to kind of circle around is first is I love that you guys, even though you were renting, that you didn't let that stop you from doing what you could where you were at. And we actually rented, my husband and I, for about the first seven years we were married, we were renting as well. We had lived in a single 1974 single wide trailer and rented. And we were the same thing. We had permission to put in a small vegetable garden. But like you guys, we didn't put in a whole bunch of fruit trees in our mini orchard or any of those type of more permanent crops and beds until we moved on to the property that we have now. Even if you're in a rental, there's still quite a bit that you can do. Obviously, if you have to have permission and stuff before you put in a garden and change things. But I think most landlords are kind of happy to let you do some of that. So I love that you guys did that. And I'm not going to be jealous that you had a farmhouse. You were talking about the pandemic. I'm like, oh! It was, it was, you know, it was a blessing and a curse. It was a beautiful place. It was absolutely like my dream place when we moved in. But of course, having like a hundred year old farmhouse comes with, all sorts of problems as well. We had all sorts of rat problems and it was freezing in the winter and boiling hot in the summer because there was like no insulation and things were always breaking down. And so there was issues that came along with it, but it really did teach us to be resilient and to be resourceful. And I don't regret, I think that was a really pivotal moment in our journey actually was going through the three years that we lived there. And um, like you said, we, you know, we were renting, so we didn't put in a lot of like perennial plants or anything like that, but we were lucky because it was a hundred year old farmhouse on this old property. There was an established apple tree. There was an established cherry tree. There was a huge established grapevine that we got 30 bottles of our own homemade wine off of one year. There was some stuff in place that gave us a little bit of a head start there as well, which was awesome. Yeah. I love that. And I so agree with you. Like looking back when we were living in that rental and of course, any situation in life, you know, any type where we're living, there's always pros and cons and we get to choose what, which part we focus on. But those hard times are when you kind of have to get really scrappy. Those are the times you learn so much. Like I look back at life, hindsight, such a beautiful thing. But really, those are the times that I learned the most. And being a homesteader, resiliency is such a key thing in living this lifestyle. So I love that. But you guys are now on your own property, right? You guys purchased. Okay. So, yes. Okay. So, talk to me about how you did that. How did you guys save up in order to purchase it or kind of what that looks like? Because I know a lot of people are, that's their dream is to move from a rental or the city and actually purchase their homestead place. So, kind of walk me through that. Right. So, I mean, that had always been our dream was to own our own, our own place. And, We wanted specifically a space that would allow us to have a garden and to do some of these things that we want to do as far as home settings concerned, right? We had our eye on properties in this area since like before we moved here, right? Just to kind of know what was out there. And and that's how we actually decided on the area that we live in now is we started looking um, at different areas and what types of properties were available, you know, in different areas of our province before we even decided to move out of the city. 
before we decided where we were going to go because we knew first and foremost what type of a property and what type of a community we were looking for. And so even though when we first moved over here, we rented, it was with, you know, it was a means to an end. Like we knew, first of all, that this was the area that we wanted to be in because it's a really great kind of rural farming community where we are, lots of farmers markets and local food scene and all these different things, very supportive of farmers and homesteaders in this community. So we kind of first chose the area and then settled in a rental place for a few years before we were ready to buy our own place. And I think that's just important to be said, because again, I think sometimes it feels like it's all or nothing. It's like, until you're ready to buy the place and settle down and everything, but you can take it one step at a time, move to where you want to be first, even if it means you're renting or if you're not in the ideal property and then kind of level up as you go, right? So that's what we did. My husband actually have to credit him for most of this. He was the one doing all the searching. We at the time had another baby on the way. And we knew that we just couldn't stay in, in the house that we were in. There wasn't enough space. The owners wanted to move there eventually. We had been doing renovation work on, on the property for them. So we knew our time was kind of limited there and we needed to start looking. But we weren't at the point where we could afford like our dream property yet. We talk all the time about our dream homestead one day. And I mean, we want several acres. We want a big house that we've talked about. Maybe we'll build it ourselves. We've got all these dreams that we talk about all the time. And we certainly were not anywhere close to there when we decided to buy last year. But we knew that we were ready for some type of a starter home. And that as long as we had certain things, certain like a space to garden, there was just certain you know, things that we had on our list that we wanted to make sure that we had in a space, even if it wasn't our dream place, right? So that we could continue kind of building our skills and living this kind of lifestyle. So that's where he started looking around at what was available and what we could afford and found in the end a perfect little quarter acre property. So in the end, we actually downsized from acre lot that we were on. But the property that we found, even though it was a quarter of the size, was just laid out in such a way that it was just exactly what we were looking for. There was already a huge fenced garden area, although nothing had been done to it in 10 years. We had to completely overhaul it this year. But there was already a fenced garden area out in the front. It was a perfect starter. There was a greenhouse. There was an established hazelnut tree. There was a few established perennial food plants and things like that around the property. And another thing that we really wanted um, was we wanted a space that we could convert into a rental suite because one of our ultimate goals with this whole homesteading thing is to become as self-sufficient and self-sustaining as possible through our property. Not only is that producing our own food and things like that, But that also means trying to earn an income from our property um, wherever possible. And so one of the things that we wanted to be able to do to help us with our mortgage was to be able to rent out a space. So there was a garage on this property that we got the go-ahead to convert into a rental suite. When all those things kind of fell into place, we knew that this was the perfect spot for us. Okay. Oh my goodness. So there's so much that I love about what you guys did. And one, I completely agree with, if at all possible, to live in the area that you want to buy. And renting is a great way to do that. Just to really make sure before you jump in and purchase a property, especially if it's not in an area, obviously, you know, that you've lived in before. So if you're doing a complete relocation, if you can visit at least and stay for an extended period of time while you're visiting or something, you know, there's that too. But there's nothing quite like living somewhere, especially in going through those different seasons, like if you can do a full year to really understand the climate and the community and just so many different things that I don't think that you get when you're just visiting a place. So I love that you guys rented in the area and really made sure that it was where you wanted to be. And when you were listing all the things that the property had, even though you were sacrificing some acreage, I love it because homesteaders and gardeners, you guys, we do not look at it anywhere or anything. I swear the same as, you can't see me doing air quotes, like normal society. <laughs> no, like, no, you totally know. look at it from a very different perspective. And so I love that you were like, okay, there's gardening space, there's a greenhouse, like there's this different infrastructure that's not just the house yes. on the property that's already in place. We may have to do some work to bring it up to the level that we want. But I mean, you are looking at the fencing in a greenhouse. I mean, that can literally be thousands of dollars, not well, even and counting your time. It can be if you're starting from scratch. It's so funny that you say that because it is true. We were talking the other day about how a lot of people in our area have established fruit trees on their property. 
And there's actually a program that I'm part of here. It's a volunteer program that goes around and helps to glean. So basically harvest any excess fruits or vegetables that people don't want out of their gardens or um, orchards and things like that. And then it gets distributed amongst the community. And it's because a lot of these people have homes that they've purchased or even renting and they have these fruit trees on them and they're all dropping like crazy apples right now and everything else. And some of these people, a lot of them don't want to have to deal with it. Like having a fruit tree on their property is a hindrance rather than like a blessing. And I am just like baffled by that because I'm like, how could you, how could that be like a bad thing? But it just depends, right? I guess you're right. We do see it in a different way. I look at like this hazelnut tree, all these different things as these are just benefits to us, right? These are like value added things on our property. But if you don't want to, if that's not what you're into, I guess, then it's just like a pain to have to deal with that every year, right? Yeah. And it's, we have a, a gleaner. So I know you're in Canada and I'm in the U S but we have, it's actually a, like a gleaners club mm-hmm. and they do the same thing here. Like you do your so much volunteer hours, but they go around to different local farms and, and just different areas and bring, so it can be a great way one for you to get local produce, yes, uh, you yeah. know, to, to help save money and just to get access to that. I think it's a fabulous program. I really love it. And I'm like you, like I drive, we have to drive about 12 miles to get to the nearest gas station and little grocery store where we live. And this time of year, especially with berries and the fruit trees, and you do, you'll see like even kind of like these abandoned fields that just nobody's using anymore that used to be farm or, you know, just small orchards and stuff and and families just have a different mindset. And you've got more people working outside the home, I think, than ever before and just not taking advantage of these things. And so you've got all of these old orchards and things that are just kind of fallow, but they're still producing. And that's actually when we have pigs, we took this year off of getting pigs. But we would go to them when we could see nobody was harvesting. When we would go to the landowners and the houses and say, hey, do you mind if we grab, you know, the apples that are on the ground and stuff yeah. for our livestock? And most of them were like, yeah. And of course, I would pick through and sift if there was any, you know, that was good enough for us to keep. But a lot of it did go to the pigs. But I'm always a little bit um, like saddened. And I'm just like, look at all of this food well, and nobody's and doing even, anything. And then these people go buy it from the store. I actually know somebody who's got like a few apple trees on their property. And I was there the other day and they had a bag of store-bought apples sitting oh, there. No. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like what? And it's funny because we actually go, um, this year we went back to our old property because we know the owners and one of them right, has moved over there now. He's got a transfer with his work. So he's living there now, but has zero interest in dealing with the apple tree. That apple tree has more fruit on it this year. Funnily enough, when we were living there, we went through a really bad winter and it got, the tree just got destroyed by the snowfall. It was so heavy that it broke off two of the largest branches and it was so old and they didn't know if it would rebound, but they ended up getting, um, getting the, the trunk filled with some concrete, I guess, to keep it standing, whatever. And this tree rebound, it's taken a few years, but this year it has more apples on it than I've ever seen. And they're all just like going to waste. So we, we said, can we come over and get some? And he, of course, said, yeah, no problem. Take as many as you can carry. Well, we went over with two big boxes and we hardly even touched the tree. There were so many good fruits just laying on the ground. And that tree is just still like so full. And same thing, it just breaks my heart when I see, <laughs> I see this, right? Because I'm like, ah, oh, I know the cost of food at the grocery store. I know how many people in our community don't have enough to eat and everything. And here's all this food just literally growing on trees for you, right? And I just, I kind of, yeah, it, I think that sometimes people forget where our food comes from and forget that it does grow on trees in a lot of cases, right? And, and that we need to take advantage of that wherever we can, so. Yeah, no, I agree. And so if you're listening to this, I think a lot of times people, you know, like you see that stuff and you just assume like, you know, like, well, it's not your property. So obviously you're not going to go get it. And I'm not advocating to just go and take it because that would be stealing. Yes. But yeah, but if you see that, like, really, we have never had anybody tell us no, especially when the signs are there that nobody's really harvesting this, mm-hmm. this food at all. But I would encourage you, like, if you're out driving around and you see fruit trees or fruit bushes like this, where it's pretty obvious nobody is taking advantage of it. See if you yeah. can find the homeowner, if there's a house and, and ask them. And I think you would be surprised at how many people are like, oh, sure. And then you So many. It's really it. a blessing to a lot of people because they don't want to have to deal with it. Like I said, and there's, we have a lot of actually online groups, Facebook groups and stuff in our area where people, you know, we've got like a self-sufficiency group and we've got different type of kind of small scale homestead and farm, farming groups in our community. And, and there's a lot of exchange of information in there. And so I've seen a lot of people kind of saying, 
oh, you know, I've got an apple tree. I've got a pear tree. Okay. Well, you know, we'll help, we'll help pick each other's right. You come over, we'll pick, you take half the harvest and then we'll go to your place and pick or other people that come on and say, Hey, I've got a tree that I don't want to deal with. And so having that kind of online resource is a great place to look to. If you're looking into, you know, maybe getting involved with gleaning or something like that, um, find local Facebook groups in your area. I found that's been a great source of information and great resource for me um, to get connected with groups like that and with people who don't mind you coming and harvesting some of what they've got growing. So. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree. We, we are blessed in this, this day and age. I know we're talking about using obviously pioneering today in the name of the <laughs> podcast and doing these old traditional skill sets. But we are blessed that we live in this modern era because it does allow us the ability to help one another. I mean, you're in Canada, I'm in Washington State in the U.S. And then there's really a lot of things that can be advantageous to help us. And I've found the same thing. I've actually found, you know, local Facebook groups can be a great way to exchange information and resources and that type of thing. So definitely not something to overlook. But another thing that I love and I want to dive into that you mentioned is using your property and your home to create a sustainable model and not just in producing your own food, which obviously with gardening and livestock, if you're able and that type of thing, um, but you're looking at it to actually help produce an income. And so you're creating that rental property above the garage. You did say, I'm assuming, because I know here, like you have to have certain permits and different things in order to have more than one dwelling on a piece of property and that type of thing. So kind of walk us through how you guys are doing that in your long-term vision. And I know you said that this wasn't necessarily your perfect dream homestead. So are you planning even further down the road to, to keep the house you're living in now as a rental and purchase something else or to flip the property or Mm -hmm. what's your guys' thoughts there? Yeah. Yeah. So when we moved here, like I said, there was a garage on the property, a separate detached garage. So our rental unit, actually, we converted the entire garage into kind of a tiny home. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It wasn't easy because we did it all the legal way, which is a lot of red tape, (laughs) a lot of extra money, but we wanted to do it the right way off the bat if we could, because Mm -hmm. it would increase the value of our property in the end. And we could, you know, ask more rental income for it because of it all being up to code and all these different things. So we did it all the very tedious legal way, but it was worth it in the end. It's done now. We have an amazing renter in um, who actually is into kind of similar things. She's asked if she can put her own little gardens out in the front. She's planted a whole bunch of mint to try to get rid of the weeds out front. She's like, is it okay if I plant you know, some herbs to try to curtail the weeds? I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, go for it. Oh, you know, it's just, yeah, that part's been awesome too there was a process involved. Like I said, I have to give my husband credit for a lot of this. He really took a lot of it on. And, and one of the things that has been like one of the biggest blessings for us is just that he is like a handyman, like no other, he can build or fix or do pretty much anything with his hands. So that has helped us a lot in just with homesteading with everything. Like he's built us, you know, fire sheds or wood sheds and installed wood stoves and built a hutch for our rabbits outside and has put in rain barrels and all these different things and has basically built us this rental unit too. I mean, he did everything from residing it to completely, you know, gutting and doing all the interior, everything. So that has been a huge help. Of course, as homesteaders, we always like to be able to do as much as we can ourselves rather than having to outsource it or hire it out. And so he is probably honestly my number one resource when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, So we did do it, you know, all pretty much ourselves, except for any kind of electrical and certain things that we couldn't by law do. And it took us the year and it was not easy. Like I say, there was a lot of red tape. There was a lot of extra expense in doing the legal way. And we went through a job loss at the same time. He lost his job out of the blue before Christmas last year for no reason, 10 days before Christmas. And so that really put set us back. And it was, it's been not an easy year. It's been a struggle, but through it all, we've kind of just had this mindset that like, we're just going to keep going. The only way we have to go is forward and we're just going to keep pushing and just believing that somehow we're going to make it. And somehow we have like, (laughs) even I look around sometimes I'm like, I don't even know, like, how did we do this? How was, (laughs) but here we are. And, and we did it. And so in the long term, 
our dream would be to have a large enough property where we can have some livestock as well. Like technically on a quarter acre where we are now, you're not supposed to have any livestock, even though we are, we're just outside of the city. So we're rurally zoned, but because you're supposed to have at least an acre to have any livestock. Our neighbors out back from us that like they border our property, their chickens are always up against the fence because they have an acre and they've had pigs. They even had a cow in their front yard for like a couple months. My until, kind of people, I like it. I know, right? And that's what I, again, what I love about this community is there are so many of those types around here that we feel like we fit right in. Like, you know, our friends come to visit from the city. They just think we're nuts. But people around here, it's like, oh yeah, no problem, right? But we're only on a quarter acre. So we're technically not supposed to have livestock, but... We kind of talked with the neighbors and seems like they're open to it. We're thinking we're going to get some chickens next year anyway. As long as we don't have a rooster, we don't think it's going to bother anybody. So that's kind of the next step. But we don't have enough space to like, I'd love to have goats at some point And we want to have some more, you know, fowl birds, ducks and geese and all sorts of things like that. So at some point, and we want to just like expand our garden. I always am just like wanting to expand, expand with the garden. So at some point we do want some more space, but... Our plan is that we'll probably realistically be here for the next at least five, probably more like 10 years. And so we're going to make this work while we can. Um, and then hopefully one day the, the ultimate dream would be that we do keep this property. And then we have two houses to rent out on here that would essentially supply us with a lot of our income. But we'll have to see how that goes. We may have to sell in order to buy new. We'll see down the road, right? Yeah, no, but I love that too, because you're thinking long-term, like, you know, I think so much of today's society, we want things instantly. I mean, even myself, like, you know, you're like, oh man, you know, you, we really want things. But with homesteading, it definitely teaches you that most things don't come easy and they don't come like instant gratification at all. So I like that you got, that you're looking at it from a very realistic standpoint, you know, five to 10 years, but that you're doing what you can now to make that a reality and a goal. And as you were talking about your neighbors and saying, okay, technically we're not really supposed to have livestock, but we went and talked to our neighbors. One, that you're being a good neighbor because that is such key. Because if you have, if you've ever lived anywhere where you had bad neighbors, you know how much that can affect just so many different things. But that was also, like you said, looking around in a community when you're thinking of buying there and seeing, does it fit in as the majority of them anyways, as a whole to the lifestyle that you want. And so you were saying, okay, well, the neighbor's butting up against us. They've had cattle. Yeah. They've had, that's yeah. so important, not only just so that people aren't complaining or looking at you like you're crazy, which sometimes I'm sure people <laughs> still look at me like I'm crazy, <laughs> born and raised here. But I, it's such an important thing not to overlook um, and to keep those relationships really well, because like in this instance, you know, you went and talked to them and then you guys are going to be able to hopefully bring them in some livestock and that type of thing too. And the other thing that's so important about community, and I think it sometimes gets overlooked with homesteading because we're all about like self-reliance, self-reliance. We want to be able to do everything ourselves. And it's just not possible to do everything yourself. And I've found that having a community, whether it's been online or the local community is like so, so helpful, probably above anything else because you are able to exchange information. Like, I mean, I've learned everything that I know about homesteading from other people in the last few years. I didn't start out with any of this. So just the, and a lot of it, I have to say a lot of it's from you, Melissa. <laughs> like I've learned a ton through the Pioneering Today Academy and just through following your blog and everything. And so the online world is great for that, but also people in the local community, you know, I've learned, I'm going on a, out on a foraging trip. I'm learning how to forage for mushrooms this fall, which has been a long-term dream of mine. I actually think I talked about it on your podcast last time. Finally doing it. And those are the types of things where you really need somebody local to teach you out, right? Or to teach you that kind of stuff and take you out. Community is so important to exchange kind of knowledge and information, but also physical, you know, resources and stuff too. So for example, our neighbors have chickens. So we have exchanged, we exchanged some of our vegetable starts because we like always go way too crazy with starting seeds in the spring and then don't have enough room to put them all in. We gifted a lot of our neighbors seedlings. We brought them vegetables and fruits out of our garden. And then we'll exchange sometimes for eggs. Our neighbors across the way from us, they take care of our property and our animals when we're away. And we gift them things that we grow and make here on our little homestead. And so 
there's kind of that exchange as well. And also being online, I, like I mentioned, these Facebook groups are great. Sometimes I'm on a, a local self-reliance group and somebody was looking for a SCOBY one day for their kombucha and I happen to have extra. So I was able to drop one off. And so there's exchanges like that that happen too. So it's so important just to remember that self-reliance is not all about like closing yourself off to the rest of the world and trying to do everything yourself. It's just, it's just not possible, right? If finding a good community, like I say, whether it's your local community, wherever you want to move to, the online community, um, where you can have that exchange of, of goods and information is, is such a, a blessing when you're living this lifestyle. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And really, if, if we look back at, you know, the pioneers, and I always talk about Little House on the I was Prairie with Laura that. Ingalls Wilder, uh, you know, because it's just my favorite. And it's, it's, a, it's a very common thing amongst people who are homesteaders. I think all of us have been like, oh, yeah, read the series, loved it, and all of that. Even then, they were very much about community. I mean, you had barn raisings, you had house raisings, you know, all these different things. They would even have, you know, the harvest parties where the threshers would go from one farm to the next. So it, there really was a sense of community and they did well, I, rely on one another. Yeah, look at the Amish communities. I mean, we have a, an Amish community close to where we live as well. And I mean, it is like, it's all about community. They do everything as one large community and it's amazing what they're able to accomplish. I think there was actually something I saw recently on the news or something where there was an Amish, wasn't a barn raising, but I think they actually lifted up a house, like with their hands and moved it. Oh my God. Foundation. And they were saying really that that's not even like the biggest house they've ever moved. And I'm like, it's just amazing. Like what people can do when they work together, right. To achieve a goal. And I, yeah. So I'm always in, in awe, the communities that they've been able to create and what, what they're able to do with no technology, with none of these kind of modern conveniences that we have. And yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. And like you said, even though a lot of us aren't able to go and <laughs> join an Amish community, well, no. <laughs> that would even, oh my gosh, like old order Mennonite or an Amish community someday, I'm going to travel and would love to just, you know, I'm spend some time like, right, or something. Yeah. Yeah. To, to really immerse and, and to get to visit with them and, and to see the different things that they're doing. But even now, like you said, having it, that online community, I know one of the biggest things that I hear from members within the Pioneer Today Academy and even you is, is where we have that group where we can share stuff with each other and just the support and knowing that there's other people out there because in the, I do feel that homesteading and a lot of these old traditional skills like fermenting food and even canning and sourdough and all of these things that in the homesteading community were like, oh yeah, like it's quite common. I feel like even in more mainstream society that it is becoming <coughs> a deeper awareness, like more people mm. are wanting to know about it or at least, you know, knowing what the terms are and, and becoming aware of them. So I think it's great because I think as a whole that homesteading is I hate to use the word trending because that sounds so weird to me, but I do. I really, <laughs> so yeah, it's having a bit of a revival. I think I, yeah, it, yes, that is a perfect yeah. world, word. It is. It's having a revival, but even if you don't feel like you have that necessarily around you in your physical community, just the ability to find an online group and an online source can really be great. Cause we have some people who are like, I have nobody around me. Like you guys make me feel normal and sane. So <laughs> I love that we can yeah. do that, but if you can find people, locally too I think then it's the best of both worlds and there can be a lot of you know that old time like bartering like you were saying you know you guys take and share things with your different neighbors and we have that too um, one of our neighbors uh, does plumbing and electricity and so you know we're able to to share and they've come and helped us do some certain things that we didn't know how to do necessarily to hook things up uh, you know and then another neighbor needed a, a roof and so all of us just got together and went over and and they did the roof on their house so there are definite ways by you know being a good neighbor um, and you know facilitating that but it also can come not you know just the joy of getting to know people and help one another um, but being able to share those different skill sets can you know, really enhance your community. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, th I agree with you. I think that community can often be overlooked when we're talking about homesteading and kind of this way of life, but it's really a very important and integral part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, no, so absolutely. Like I, sometimes I just like, I'm in awe of where we live. I'm so happy. Like, yes, I love our little property, but I love the community that we live in. And it's such a stark contrast to when we lived in the city. Like for some people, the city is just totally what floats their boat, right? I just, it was just not for me. I just didn't like it there. We still go back to visit family and friends. And I only last a couple of days. Like it's just doesn't align with 
my soul. I don't know what it is, right? But just, I just absolutely, we couldn't have chosen a better spot, you know, for where we live now. It's just such a great community. The farm market here is one of the best. And so again, when we're talking about community, like that's been a great resource for us is being able to ha- like um, get to know our local farmers and things like that too. There's a lot of, um, you know, work being done locally where we live to create sustainable food models here and stuff like that. So getting involved with other people that way, with other local farmers, getting to know your farmers has been a really great, um, great resource for us. Again, both in um, the actual resources, being able to go somewhere and to supplement, get our, you know, fresh organic local fruits and vegetables that we don't grow ourselves. But also I've been able to kind of glean, you know, knowledge from, from people who are more established in this lifestyle as well. So no, it's been fantastic here. And I just don't think I'll ever leave this general area now that we're here. Well, I remember we were talking and I remember you saying that that was one of the reasons you guys actually looked at that area to begin with, because it did have a lot, a lot of growing and farm agriculture going on there. Um, to begin with. I think that was one of the yes, things that yeah. drew you there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And it's just, and I like what you said earlier about, you know, go visit it, you know, obviously spend some more time. Rent is a great idea because we kind of ended up hating it. I think a lot of our city friends thought like, oh yeah, okay, they're going to go do this for a year and be like, uh, okay, we're moving back. And that didn't happen for us. Right. But you don't know. And so you're right. It is wise to take your time, maybe rent if you can for a bit, just to make sure you, you know, lock yourself into somewhere. Um, but before we even rented, we, we had decided already, like I had done a ton of research and I just knew, and I had never been here, (laughs) but we did decide that when we got married, that we would honeymoon here. I'm like, well, we should maybe go there and just make sure. And so we honeymooned out here. We toured all the, like, that's what we do when we travel. My husband and I, we don't travel a lot anymore. Um, but when we do, it's like all about the local food scene and, you know, seeing kind of the, the countryside and that kind of, and that's what we did when we were here. We toured all around, we went to all the kind of, you know, local farm markets and restaurants and sampled all the local stuff and, and just, you know, toured around the community and just fell in love and just knew right then that we were making the right decision. And then, but again, you know, it wasn't all overnight. We went home back to the city. I had another year of school and we had to, you know, it was, it was a process, but we, knew that the patience and the planning and hard work would pay off. And then a year later we made the move. And then three years later we bought our property and, you know, here we are. And it's still very much a work in progress. We've done a ton of work over the past year here and it's, you know, we're nowhere near finished. There's a lot of things that I wish I could just snap my fingers and, and be done already. But I know that, you know, there's some things I'm like, like my husband was ready to dive in and get chickens this year. And we had all this going on and we're finishing this rental. And I'm like, you know what? No, we got to slow down (laughs) one thing at a time, because if you overwhelm yourself too much, then that's when it all falls apart. So we're trying to just build on our skills and build on, you know, our kind of model of sustainability on our property, just one step at a time so that it truly is sustainable in the end. So that we don't just dive in and then go, okay, that didn't work. And now we've lost it all or something, right? It's just one step at a time every year, every season, we do a little bit more, learn a little bit more, you know, get a little bit better and <laughs> get a little bit more self-sufficient. Yeah, no, I love it. And that's exactly what we've done. And I think if you're... Well, all that you're saying, that's homesteading, it is, it's a journey. And I think too often we look at where other people are at and we wish that we were there. And then we begin to compare ourselves and be like, man, I'm not doing, you know, I'm not doing enough, but it's important to remember it is a long-term journey and you do not want to burn out because I love just like you. I love, obviously I love homesteading and all that it encompasses, but it's hard work. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. It is wonderful, but you are putting in work. There's no way around it. I mean, and there's tips and tricks that you learn as you gain experience and whatnot that can make things easier and save you some time, but it's just flat out. There is hard work involved. And if you don't pace yourself, oh my goodness, you will reach burnout. And that's like this year, we did not do meat chickens and we did not raise pigs. We had enough still in the freezer and we were just like, you know what, we need, we need a break from, from doing some of this because it is work mm-hmm. and we had enough to take us through. And so I think it's really important that you evaluate and that, that you do look at that too and that you don't burn yourself out because back in the day, this was all, for the most part, that they were doing. I mean, their whole right. life consisted around, you know, producing and raising this food and keeping up the farm and putting the food up. But there wasn't that working, you know, the day jobs and the other stuff that most of us have. I mean, my husband, I just until recently, I still work a day job, but it's not for someone else. It's, 
you know, recording this, the mm-hmm. podcast and the stuff for the academy and writing books and everything. So I am still working. That's not just putting up the food and growing. My husband works outside the home, you know, and I know most families, that's what they're doing. So it's important that we do pace ourselves and Definitely. realize that. Yeah. So I'm glad that and you that's the thing. That and, and, and yeah, interesting. You say that because, you know, we're both building our own businesses at home as well. So I have my blog that I've been working on and my husband has his own handyman services business that he basically decided to start after he lost his job. Because again, that fits into our kind of self-sufficiency sustainability models. We want to it's really about a lifestyle. We want to be able to live life on our own terms and on our own schedule. And so, you know, whether it's earning an income off of our property through this rental suite or producing some of our own food, you know, having our own businesses where we kind of set our own, you know, rules and everything. It doesn't mean that we work any less. Oh Lord, no, we probably work 10 times harder than we've ever worked. Right. But we wanted to be able to do something that was for us rather than for someone else. Right. And so this year, especially because I've just been, I just relaunched my website and I just um, launched a brand new magazine and everything. And of course that all launched on September 1st. Well, we're right in the middle of harvest season. I've got like 30 pounds of apples that have been sitting on my table for a week that I just haven't been able to get to yet. And we got some broccoli out of our garden the other day that was just a little bit far gone. And there's things that I'm like, oh, like, uh, I just can't keep up with everything. But I have to also remember that like, okay, so what? There's a few less jars of food in the pantry this year or a few more apples went bad or whatever it was, but I can't do it all. So I have to prioritize certain things too. And this is you know building this business and everything is part of our self-sufficiency goals in the end and that's where the focus just had to be right now but every year we learn a little bit more about how to do things a little bit better and how to be a little bit more productive and everything to the following year so some of the things i've learned this year first of all we're like hey we're not going anywhere or having anybody over in here because <laughs> august is just crazy and we had family here and then i got sick and then we had this blog launch and all these things and we're like struggling to keep up with all the preserving and i'm like okay we're going to revamp our summer a little bit so that we're here and we don't have a million other things pulling our attention during that really busy time. But just, you know, being able to kind of slow down and say, you know what, so what? Not everything got done that we would have wanted to do in this short period of time. We're only human. We can only do so much. So having some failures, some, you know, crops that go a little bit too far or weeds taking over your garden, which they certainly have, you know, that's okay. Sometimes that happens. You learn a little bit about how to manage it better the next season and and then you do the, the following year. You always have the next season. You always have the next year to try things a little bit differently. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, this is the other one. And I mentioned this to you, actually. I think maybe when I was communicating through Facebook or Instagram one of these times. And I said that one of the things that I have learned this summer about going through the busyness of summer and gardening and preserving everything is that next spring, I am doing some major freezer cooking. And I am putting away so many meals because that's been one of the hardest things is actually to keep up with the fresh cooking lately. And I feel like such a homestead fraud that we've been eating out and like grabbing like quick food so quickly, like so often because we've had so much going on and the canners taking up our stovetop and we've had so much other stuff that we're working on. But oh my God, that's something that, you know, it was a big lesson for us this year, to like prep ahead of time and that kind of slower season right between your planting time and between and when things start to really come on in the garden that's what i'm gonna be doing next year is putting a whole bunch of meals in the freezer so that we have quick stuff to grab during the really really busy time in the summer yeah i think it's something that all canners know but it's not widely shared and it's like i actually put this picture on facebook and on instagram and I, that's probably where we yeah, were chatting about so, it yeah but it's like yeah i just spent all year long grow up planning and prepping and growing this homegrown organic food and then canning it so that it's preserved and there's no GMOs and I know exactly what's in it so we can eat all of this amazing wholesome food all winter long but I'm totally exhausted so right now we're either doing takeout Chinese food or pizza or something and it's so true because you'll literally will spend some days like if I'm doing a whole bunch of a whole bunch of food on different runs at once I can literally spend all day in the kitchen and by six o'clock rolls around and I'm finally pulling that last jar out of the canner and then you've cleaned up the whole kitchen from doing all that prep work. The last thing that you want to do is actually cook dinner that night and I'm like 80-20 rolls. So that's where that 20% falls in. I'm like, it's totally okay if we're having frozen Costco pepperoni pizza for dinner Exactly. <laughs> and you know, and that is exactly what I mean about like, you know, you got to give yourself grace. You're, we're only human. You're right. We have so much more going on 
nowadays than, you know, Ma Ingalls had back in the day where this was her entire life, right? Doing this stuff all day long. We have a whole bunch of other obligations that we're, you know, trying to balance and everything. And so, like I said, you know, I kind of feel like a homestead fraud eating, you know, takeout pizza or whatever while I've got, you know, a busy canning day and a work day on the blog and everything else. But I've learned to, to say to myself, that's okay. And what lesson can I take out of this? I think mean, that's the biggest thing. Everything that we do in life and especially with the homesteading and everything is we have tons of failures. I mean, we have all sorts of things go wrong all the time, but every time we have something go wrong, we try to turn it around and look at it as like a, like a learning experience. Like how can we learn from this um, so that it's not just a failure, it's not just a wasted, you know, experience so that we can try to learn from it and make this better the following year. So for example, one of the things was we struggled the last few years to grow really great, healthy tomatoes, right? And it was just, we were growing them in buckets. We were doing different things. Like we did okay, but we weren't anywhere near where we wanted to be. But we tried every year, right? Even though we struggled, we're like, hey, we're going to try again. We're going to try something different. Some things worked, some things didn't, but we just never gave up on it, right? And sometimes it was disheartening. Every one of them would get blossom end rot and we'd have all these issues. We're like, that's all right. Okay, what did we do? Let's take notes. What do we do this year? Let's try it different than next year. And this year, oh my God, <laughs> our tomatoes are just like, we've had harvested already over a hundred pounds of tomatoes out of our little garden. Um, How many plants did you have? We had all together about 30 plants. Okay. Now we're not done with the harvest yet. I think six or so of those plants were a cherry tomato variety, which actually like have been awesome. I love to eat them fresh, but we've been sun drying them as well, which are just, they're mm. amazing. Yeah. And then the rest are a massive paste tomato variety called Arduino paste. And I looked them up from what I, from the research I've done, they are an heirloom. Um, I got them to stop like a local seed from a local seed exchange. So there wasn't a lot of info on the packet, but from the research I've done, they're an heirloom variety that's been bred to be like they're over one pound fruits nice. for tomato a lot of the time. So they're massive. So we're just getting tons, but it's because we've done things wrong, right? Or we've had certain failures and, and we've been able to go, okay, this is what didn't work. Let's try this different this year. And for the last few years, we've still been struggling. And, you know, we just, we took all of that knowledge and we put it all together this year and we just have this amazing bumper crop. And so, you know, like the, the crops that we've really been focusing on and that we've been, you know, trying to learn from and, and do better have been getting, have been getting good, right? Practice makes perfect. So whatever we're doing, we don't look at it as a failure. We look at it as, okay, so what worked and what didn't, and how can we try to do this better next year? So next year, like I say, my big takeaway from this year was be prepared. You know, we're so focused on preparing for winter all the time that we forget to prepare for summer. <laughs> summer is like yes. one of the busiest times of all. So I'm going to spend my spring preparing for summer next year. I love it. Your magazine, I want to just briefly touch on that because I think it's a great homesteading resource that you're doing for free. And so where can people find out about that and give us just a, a little bit of info real quick so people can check that out if they wish to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, it's just launched this month as the first issue and it is called Modern Homesteading Magazine. Now I'm actually, it's called The House and Homesteads, Modern Homesteading Magazine. My blog is The House and Homestead. Um, and so it can be found at thehouseandhomestead.com slash magazine is where you can go to sign up. And it's right now it is a free publication. I kind of haven't decided yet. I remember actually I was talking to you about this. I haven't decided if down the road it's something that I might kind of evolve and charge a subscription fee for. But right now, um, you know, it's just me. I'm kind of a solo printer doing this. And so I've decided to, you know, until I know that it's something that's going to be sustainable for me for sure. And that it's something that people want. Um, I'm def I'm offering a free and so I've had really positive feedback so far. And so what it is, is it's kind of a short monthly magazine that goes out to subscribers. And each month is kind of got a seasonal theme going on. So something that's timely, something that's seasonal, and something that can help other people on their own homesteading journey. So the first issue this month, September, is the preparedness issue because September is National Preparedness Month. Um, and so we've got some really awesome information in there about, you know, how to build up your food storage and, you know, emergency items that you want to have on hand in case of a, in case of a, you know, disaster or something. Um, I've got a really awesome interview with uh, Jennifer Osek from Self-Reliance School in there about kind of her approach to being prepared. And so there's a whole bunch of amazing resources kind of compiled into one. So for me as a blogger, it's kind of like doing a whole bunch of blog posts and putting it all together in, in this magazine format and being able to deliver it to my readers. And I've had just amazing feedback so far, which has got me really fired up to do more. 
And then next month, the theme is fall gardening. And you are actually my interview for that month. So I'm super excited about that. Talking about what we need to do in the fall to prepare our garden for a successful season next year. And yeah, and then we've got some other you know great issues lined up. The November issue is going to be all about natural medicine for kind of cold and flu season. I've got Marlene Adelman from um, the Herbal Academy um, is going to be sharing some of her cold and flu remedies in that uh, in that issue. And we're talking to her. So there's some really cool things in the works. I'm super excited to be sharing with people. So again, it's thehouseandhomestead.com slash magazine to go sign up for that. And we'll definitely have links for that, guys, in the show notes, too. So you'll be able to click there. And yeah, I'm super excited. I had so much fun talking with you. And I always love to find great resources to help people down this homesteading journey. So Anna, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us today. And I know we will be chatting soon because we chat all the time. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Nice to be here. I hope that you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. And I think you're going to love the magazine that Anna is putting out. I'm the feature for the month of October, but it's not just me. I mean, I've got an article in there, but there are some really great things in there. I think that you are going to love it. So to get access and hit all the links of different things that we've talked about in today's episode, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 206 or just the number 206 because this is episode number 206. For today's verse of the week, we are in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. For many are called, but few chosen. I was reading a Bible study this morning, and this was the verse that came up. And I thought it was very apt to today's topic, because I think many people have the dream of homesteading, But when you look at a lot of the people who would like to live that way of life, or maybe they would like the benefits of that way of life, so homegrown organic food and good natural things that you know exactly what's in them, what's not, the ability to just go and pick food from your garden, have your own meat, have your own chickens, all of the wonderful things and benefits that we get of homesteading. A lot of people would really like to have that. But few of them, when we look at modern society as a whole, are actually willing to do the work and to make it a reality. Now, I know if you are listening to this podcast, then that is not you. You are a doer. And there are more and more of us coming and doing this and living this way of life and inspiring and sharing with those who want to and encouraging them, which is what I hope I'm doing with you. And I know that you are doing with others as well, because it really does make a difference. So my prayer for you myself and for you today is that you are not just called, but you are also one of the chosen. Okay, I can't wait to be back here with you next week. I will see you on Wednesday. Thank you.